So as we continue our journey through the Gospel of Matthew, we can't seem to shake this theme of judgment. Not only does it persist in clinging to us, hounding us through the pages of Matthew's Gospel, in today's reading that Alma Jean read for us, it almost seems to intensify the theme of judgment. This is the good news of Jesus Christ, Alma Jean dutifully read. But it seems like anything but good news to us sometimes. It seems like bad news to our ears when we hear those words of judgment. The truth is we are a judgment-averse people. We don't like to hear about it and we dread to think about it. It makes us uneasy, uncomfortable. Talk of judgment in Scripture sets our teeth on edge Some of you have shared with me in conversations about why that is for you personally. Sometimes talk of judgment in the church reminds us of the past, what we consider the bad old days of moralistic preaching accompanied by the threat of consequences for improper behavior. Talk of judgment in the church also sometimes makes us feel like scolded children, It triggers our feelings of shame, of not being good enough, of not measuring up. Some of you have been wounded by forms of religion that told you you were somehow intrinsically wrong or bad. Those are wounds that cry out for healing. Those are examples of how religion can be misused. But there's another element that I want to talk about here, about about judgment, that is part of our our, uh, rejection of judgment in our church tradition. This is our sense that we are spiritual grown-ups, no longer children who can be talked down to. The idea of judgment offends us because we think we have outgrown it. We think we've transcended the need for talk about religious rules of right and wrong. As spiritually and intellectually enlightened people, we can make up our own minds, thank you very much, and we don't need anyone or anything telling us what to do. This is part of the time in which most of us have come of age, this time of the dawning awareness of human capacity. It's just hard for us. It's hard for us in our time to hear any talk of limits. In our branch of the church, the liberal Protestant stream of the church, this is even something that we have projected onto the whole of Judeo-Christian tradition, onto our understanding of Scripture, and even onto God We've convinced ourselves that there's this dividing line between the Old Testament and the New, between the angry old father God of the Old Testament and the loving, compassionate, brotherly Jesus of the New Testament. We've convinced ourselves that way back in the deep, dark recesses of time, when human beings were more primitive and tribal, it was more fitting to conceive of God as angry, judgmental, the old man in the sky. But then as we progressed and developed, we outgrew that image of God and were able to conceive of God in more enlightened terms. A God who is all love and all mercy, who no longer judges us from above, but who instead comes alongside us 
to offer affirmation and encouragement. This is a very attractive narrative. This is a very attractive narrative for us. The problem is, it's not true. It's not true to our Judeo-Christian tradition. It's not true to what Scripture uh, reveals for us. It's not true to the God who reveals himself in Scripture. This whole way of understanding ourselves as Christians, as this dividing of the Old Testament from the New, this narrative of spiritual progress, is not true. I submit to you for evidence uh, the very readings that Alma Jean read for us today. Both of these readings uh, have, have some remarkable consistency in them. The Old Testament passage from Ezekiel God says, I will go out into the highways and byways and collect up all my scattered sheep. I'll extract them from amongst the, the messes that they've gotten themselves into. And I'll gather them together and I'll feed and care for them. God shows a special concern for the lost, the injured, the weak. While the fat and the strong will be fed with justice. If that sounds a little ominous to us, it's because it's meant to. It's meant to. But then in the well-known gospel passage, the enthroned Son of Man separates the, the sheep from the goats based on the criteria of whether or not they've acted justly, extending care and compassion to those who hunger and thirst, to the stranger, the poor, those who are sick or in prison, the friendless. The lowly ones who are given the exalted title, the least of these who are members of my family, members of the king's family. The sheep are blessed and rewarded while the goats are accursed and sent into eternal punishment. So you see, both texts that sound strong notes of judgment, of separating the good from the bad, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Despite what we may have thought, there is this remarkable consistency between the God we meet in the pages of the Old Testament and the God we meet in the person of Jesus. The so-called Old Testament God turns out to be pastoral, kind, a mother who tends to her precious little ones. And gentle Jesus turns out to be a righteous judge, spurning those who have turned their backs and closed their doors to the weak and the vulnerable. Notice that in both cases, the judgment is based on this criteria of God's mercy and justice. God's judgment is always in service to God's mercy and God's justice. God's work of setting the world right, of mending what is broken, healing what is hurt, writing all, all that has gone wrong in all the world and in each of our lives. Setting the world right, though, involves naming and judging all that is wrong. These two things are held together in our tradition. Because God is a loving God, God is also a judging God. I've been reading a book uh, by Fleming Rutledge. She is a teacher and preacher in the Episcopal Church in the United States. 
Her book is called The Crucifixion, Understanding the Death of Jesus Christ. It is an amazing book. She wrote the book in response to the very challenge that I'm talking about with you. This aversion in the liberal Protestant tradition to the idea of God's judgment. Central to her book is this concept that that God's love and God's judgment are two sides of the same coin. So we may want a God who is all-loving and all-affirming, but aren't there things in the world that we wouldn't want to affirm? Rutledge asks. Aren't there some things that ought to be judged and finally condemned? Things like the ones that are named in the readings for today, the abuse and exploitation of the poor, neglect of the needs of the hungry, ignoring the plight of refugees and sick people and those who are in prison. And of course, all of those things are not just in the pages of the gospel, they're in the pages of our newspapers as well. These harms, these injustices, these atrocities call for more than a God who is loving and affirming. They call for a God who is just. While we might want to separate the two, you know, separate that old uh, judgmental Old Testament God from gentle Jesus, meek and mild, our tradition holds the two together. Mercy and judgment in this kind of paradox. The hymn that we just sang, right, is full of these paradoxes. You, Lord, are both lamb and shepherd, You, Lord, are both prince and slave. The same Jesus who is clothed in light upon the mountain is stripped of might upon the cross. This is the God we worship. Another reason I think we struggle with this idea of God's judgment is because we're afraid of what it might mean for us. We hear the threat in the words from Ezekiel, the fat and the strong will be fed with justice. Now, don't take this the wrong way, but many of us can see ourselves in the words, the fat and the strong, right? Yeah. It's a metaphor in the Bible for those who are well off, those who are privileged. It's for the people who are not, the people who are not in the categories that Jesus names, those who are not hungry or thirsty, those who are not refugees, those who are not sick or in prison, those who... In other words, most of us, most of the time. We, the fat and the strong, we worry about the risk of being judged. And scripture says, so we should. So we should if we are not aligning our lives with God's purposes. But the fact that we are here, the fact that we're sitting in this place, listening, allowing ourselves to be judged by the word of God in Scripture suggests that we are willing, willing to have our lives shaped by God, our merciful judge. We are here to listen for God's call. And as you heard right at the beginning of the service today, some of us have done much more than listen. We have responded. Some of you have put your lives on hold to welcome refugees who have come to us out of desperate situations. Some of you have had your lives upended by making a home, making a home for people in need. 
Some of you have experienced much grace as a result of that. Some of you have a vocation for knitting prayer shawls. Some of you have a vocation for bringing those to those who are sick and visiting with them. Carrying always the power of God's healing grace with you. But regardless of where each of us is on our own journey of discipleship, we mustn't let our fear of judgment get in the way of hearing what God says to us. We must trust that God is, first of all, merciful. That the God who gathers the the lost and scattered sheep is also the shepherd who seeks us out in our moments of lostness or confusion. That the king who is the friend of the poor and the hungry also welcomes us when we come begging for mercy, forgiveness, or understanding. That the one who tends like a mother to the wounds of the sick and the suffering joins us in our dark valleys, bringing peace and comfort. If we're really honest, we'll acknowledge that every one of us, even as we are sometimes fat and strong, every one of us has moments when we are poor beggars in desperate need, of one kind or another. And at times like that, we give thanks. We give thanks for the paradox at the heart of our tradition that our God is a merciful judge, that the one who preaches a way that is narrow has a love that reaches wide, that the one who is all-powerful in heaven walks each day beside us. Then perhaps we can finally say, this is the good news of Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Amen.